0: You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social, and environmental challenges. And follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. Good morning. It's wonderful to see so many of you here. Welcome. Welcome to our conference on ASEAN in 2017 and uh, beyond. by now, we all know that 2017, this year, is really the year of anniversaries. Uh, the European Union has turned 60. We all know about the challenges and, and, and the opportunities we have ahead of us. Uh, some thousands of miles away, ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, is turning 50. And the European Union's relationship with ASEAN, the two regional organizations, that's 40 years old. So apologies to those who are here who are under 30, but we're looking at organizations that are mature, middle-aged. But I think in the 21st century, middle-age isn't what it used to be. It's dynamic, vibrant, and certainly these two organizations, the European Union and ASEAN, are looking ahead with a great deal of optimism and an upbeat mood. Uh, So anniversaries are a moment to take stock. So we look back, uh, look at our successes and our achievements, and we look ahead also to the challenges that lie ahead. And this conference, this half-day conference, really is about looking ahead. We will look back, but I really want us to look uh, at the future, what lies ahead. And we know the future is rather challenging, uncertain, uh, volatile, and sometimes troubled and troubling. Uh, The EU and ASEAN are both adapting to this new geopolitical, geoeconomic landscape that faces us. Uh, I think all of us here share perhaps uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel's view that the European Union in the current situation, policies from US being what they are, Brexit, uh, etc., that the European Union really has to stand on its own feet. We're all, we're there, big boys now. And I think ASEAN also... Uh, faces similar challenges, it is going to also have to, in a way, uh, reinvent itself. Um, So a lot has changed uh, in in the two regions over the last 50 years or so. ASEAN, as you may remember, started off rather small. Uh, Member states then were still developing countries. Um, And almost three-quarters of ASEAN's population in those days lived in rural areas. Now we have an association, a regional organization that counts a population of 625 million people. Urbanization is the name of the game. And we all know, our businesses especially know, that ASEAN economies are growing very, very fast. Um, But there's still many inequalities across the region as well. The organization, ASEAN, has become central to peace, stability, and prosperity in Asia. And because we live in an interconnected world, of course, what happens in Asia impacts on us uh, and peace in the world. Uh, So many challenges, many questions to answer. Um, Before I introduce the panelists, I'd like to say a warm thank you also to the European Commission's DEFCO, uh, DG DEFCO, which has helped us and supported us in building this conference, and also to all ASEAN missions here in Brussels that have really worked hard with us, teamwork, and of course my own team as well, uh, to bring, uh, bring here some of the best minds and thinkers, thought leaders from ASEAN as well. So during the day, we're going to talk about different things. This first panel is about ASEAN at 50 living in a challenging world. And we have, as you can see, a stellar panel. Uh, let me start by introducing... I, I don't think you really need an introduction, Dr. Serene Pitsuan. Uh, All of us here know Dr. Serene is one of Asia's best-known and most influential thinkers, a former Secretary-General of ASEAN, and his name is renowned the world over. He travels all the time. I think, Dr. Serene, you're on your way to some exotic land even uh, uh, later on today. Uh, Pierre Amilat, here on my right, Director for Asia at DEFCO, who also has a long and distinguished career at the European Commission, and you were in Vietnam as uh, the EU's ambassador Um, Delia Domingo Albert, former foreign minister of the Philippines, also uh, a brain, a wise lady of the region, also someone who's working very closely on ASEAN's future and part of many groups and discussion uh, working groups on the future of ASEAN. Gunnar Wiegand. Managing Director for Asia and the Pacific at the European External Action Service. Gunnar and I are bonded, if I may say so, when you were spokesman for Chris Patton, who was, of course, one of the commissioners who really worked hard to build stronger relations uh, with uh, Asia, between Europe and Asia. And, of course, you've gone on to do important, many more important things. So welcome also, Gunnar. And last but absolutely not least, we 're really delighted and honored to have Power Yono uh, with us. He 's a former Indonesian ambassador to several European countries, including France, and now a member of, of the Centre for Strategic and International Studies uh, Foundation in Indonesia i'm sorry i 'm being a little bit long, but I really do think this is important to set things in context. Um, the rules of the game are very simple. Those of you who come to Friends of Europe our conferences know them. Uh, the panelists have five minutes initially to answer the questions I put to them, and then I will open the floor to questions and comments from yourselves as long as they're short and to the point. Um, I'm Shada Islam, and I'm Director for Europe and Geopolitics at Friends of Europe. So let's kick off the discussion. Dr. Serine, no surprises, that I'm going to turn to you first. Um, a changing world, a changing ASEAN, a changing Europe – When you look back, just very briefly when you look back, what do you see as the main achievements of ASEAN? And then look ahead and tell us a little bit about your view of the challenges and the opportunities that lie ahead.
1: Thank you very much, Shada. It took us 50 years to get to this room. I've been here many times before, but not at the Diplomatic Club of Brussels. Uh, And during those 50 years, Shada and I, we have been carrying on carrying on this conversation, I think, for the last 20 years of that. (laughs) So issues are quite familiar, and um, I think challenges uh, may be differentiated along the way, but pretty much the same. I have to say that ASEAN was born out of a panorama of turmoil on the global stage. Independent movement, the Afro-Asian conference in Bandung, Uh, and then the Southeast Asian countries were faced with ideological tension Um, uh, I I believe uh, the leaders at that time five of them wanted a stage that was appropriate to their own small and medium size if you can call Indonesia small so that we could maintain our own identities and our own um, profiles. Now, on the global stage, uh, Southeast Asian countries would have to compete with such personalities like Nehru, Joe Enlai, y- um, Tito, uh, Nkrumah, those big personalities. So, Southeast Asia wanted just a small stage that we would feel comfortable. Now, since then, we have been building processes, institutions, networks, and forums and fora, responding to what Henry Kissinger told us at the end of last century, that East Asia, as far as the economic growth, uh, trade, technological advance, it's pretty much 20th century Europe, he said at the end of last century. But he said as far as institutions, processes, and systems, organizations, or the numbers that I could call when there is a problem among them, he said uh, East Asia is still pretty much 19th century Europe. It's the balance of power game. Now, we have come to this point, building those institutions, those networks, those platforms, frameworks. We have done pretty well responding to that, Um, observation of uh, Mr. Kissinger to the point where we brought former antagonists, enemies with their own historical packages together China and Japan, India and China China and Korea on to the platform of ASEAN. In that sense, I think we have achieved quite a bit, and we have healed the rift within the region ourselves between the two camps, two ideological camps, when we were born in 1967. We have healed that rift. Now all ten countries of Southeast Asia are under the ASEAN umbrella. Now, ASEAN was born as a multilateral platform, ASEAN was born as a regional multilateral platform, and we have worked in concert with Europe, with the U.S., with all the rest, with the U.N., to strengthen that multilateral platform. Now, the world is turning inward. Now, multilateralism seems to be in question, under pressure. We are having to to look for a new modality for us in Southeast Asia. Um, And if you ask me, uh, I think uh, the answer and the response from Southeast Asia would be more integration among ourselves, more ASEAN, more ASEAN, ASEAN Regional Comprehensive Economic uh, uh, Partnership, uh, because we can't seem to be able to rely on what is going on around the world now. You seem to be walking away from globalization, in spite of the fact that it's originated here. I still remember in the, in the 80s, in the 90s, every time there was a G7, there was a World Bank IMF meeting, there would be protest from the civil society, from us, from the third world. And you were pushing it here in the West. Now, there's that blowback We learn to tame the forces of globalization. We learn to benefit from the forces of globalization. It's the countries in the West. It's Britain. Almost Europe. (laughs) I'm glad what happened in France somehow stopped that. Uh, Certainly in America. Turn anti-globalism, anti-multilateralism, It is for us to look for our own platform, our own strategies, our own vision forward, and that is relying on ourselves. Much like Mrs. Merkel said yesterday, East Asia, Southeast Asia, ASEAN, ASEP, ASEAN Plus 6, will have to weave even more intricate and a, a more integrated network of cooperation in our part of the world in order to respond to a lot of these challenges coming toward us. Thank you.
0: Dr. Serene, thank you very much. You've really set the agenda for us, and I think you've uh, talked about uh, ASEAN's role as convener, the multilateral platform, and also the distinction between anti-globalization feelings here in Europe and uh, how you've tamed, as you said, the the demons of globalization in in Asia. Just a very quick follow-up. Do you think that we can, at this point, these, these different challenges, but all the similarities bring Europe and ASEAN closer together on, on certain issues?
1: I hope so. I think, I think Europe remains, the EU remains, our inspiration, not our model. I have said this all along. And I think what Europe has achieved certainly has been a tremendous inspiration for us. And we are only the second regional organization effective enough. Uh, to be recognized as second to Europe but far away second and uh, as I said it's it's a a different kind of uh, modality Mm -hmm. we were small and medium sized countries getting together and able to bring in the larger um, uh, dialogue partners, through dialogue partnership including the EU but China, Japan India, Australia, New Zealand, Korea these are the major players around us we brought them in You began with bigger countries, former enemies, France, Germany, and Italy, and then you brought in smaller countries, including Belgium. (laughs) Um, uh, And then that's your journey. It's our journey in the East, and we have to try to make sure that we will continue to walk into the future future. Uh, relying on each other's experiences. Mm. And your interest in East Asia is certainly very much recognized and appreciated. Mm. But there remain some differences of strategic approach, of norms, of values. Those are going to be issues that we'll have to continue to discuss. Mm. But I think your interest is valid. Your interest is legitimate. It's just how to project that interest on and how we, on our side, welcome that interest and uh, that... um, determination to be part of that dynamic East Asia, as we have seen in mm. the past several decades.
0: Thank you, Dr. Serene. Pierre, uh, you know, we talk about ASEAN uh, unity, working together, et cetera, but it is a very diverse entity. Countries have very, very different levels of development. We do, too, in Europe, but perhaps the differences are, are more marked. Uh, in ASEAN. Uh, some of your, would you like to comment on what Dr. Serena said about the two, con- the two entities coming together, but also how the EU is perhaps helping to, uh, to ease some of these differences, these inequalities that we know exist?
2: Yes, I, I uh, uh, first of all would like to thank you and your team and friends of Europe for having me today. Um, and uh, also uh, to be able to uh, revisit uh, the fundamentals of our relation. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll definitely not forget your question, but allow me to say that uh, in this uh, anniversary year, uh, we have uh, an opportunity to uh, take a pause and uh, uh, check if the fundamentals are still there for our relation taking into account uh, also the ambitions that we have to take it forward in the future. Uh, is it still fit for purpose uh, in a world that uh, uh, is full of uncertainty and challenges? And I will not dwell on this because I think uh, it will be very much spoken about today. Um, I think that despite the great um, ambitions that we have to... Uh, take the partnership to a strategic level including uh, security, um, uh, political um, uh, cooperation, uh, we, we should not also in that movement downplay the fact that uh, economy, the economy and trade uh, relations have been the bedrock of our relation. Today, ASEAN is a huge partner for, uh, for the EU. Uh, In fact, the third after China and the US in trade. And uh, the EU is the second trading partner for, uh, uh, for ASEAN. Uh, Also interesting to see EU becoming top of the list in terms of uh, FDI in the region uh we have ftas in place or in negotiations we have uh, also ambitious for uh, ambitions for a region to region uh uh fta i am I'm, I'm i'm waiting with excitement on that discussion this after, uh, later on today uh, we're negotiating this uh, great civil aviation uh, open sky agreement 11 million people are travelling back and forth uh, every year, So, altogether, I think market signals are very positive. They validate the partnership. Uh, civil society, business is validating the partnership. Uh, but ASEAN is not only a huge economic and trade partner, it's also a gateway to uh, another big partner, which is China. Uh, it is uh, a vital EU interest to maintain uh, these maritime routes, uh, safe and free for uh, all and in compliance with uh, the international law of the sea. Um, I'd like to uh, take this opportunity to draw your attention to uh, an organization, the organization of an ocean governance uh, uh, conference in Malta, uh, where all these very, very important issues uh, will be discussed before the summer. Um, ASEAN. Um, uh, so, uh, no doubt that ASEAN matters very, very much uh, uh, to the EU. Can the EU matter, or still matter to ASEAN, as ASEAN is making huge uh, economic progress? Uh, I think there is a lot we can share. We've said it all. I will not. Uh, I will not re- uh, repeat this, including the negative, uh, the negative that we uh, we can share with you. Um, uh, I think what is striking, though, is that the two uh, organisations have chosen cooperation, integration, uh, in order to safeguard peace uh, between them. First of all, before projecting themselves outside, and I think this is uh, this is this is a fundamental that is uh, so uh, very often overlooked. Uh, because there the method is very similar, if not uh, identical. Um, so we are providing uh, all the support that we can, not only to the ASEAN institutions, but also to the ASEAN countries. To give you an idea, we're uh, spending over seven years about two billion euros uh, for the cooperation with the, uh, with the countries, uh, what is important, though, is not the money, is what it supports in terms of dialogue, in terms of technology transfer, in terms of meeting of, of minds. Um, we are certainly looking at uh, uh, the new priorities of our development corporations, such as greening the economies, uh, fighting environmental hazards, securing um uh, boosting investment uh, in the region. And we want to um, uh, to use development cooperation as uh, an engine, uh, a leverage for this. Um, I'd like to now turn to the future a few words <laughs> because I know I'm late. Um, so what I think lies ahead of us um, is a, a stronger partnership to actually tackle Uh, global challenges together. I think the Agenda 2030, the COP21, the fight against climate change, all this is things that we should be doing together. Mm -hmm. We need to also, I think, deepen the the quality of our dialogue on policies. Uh, Cooperation should be even more firmly pitched as a mature partnership of equals. Uh, We believe in using country systems in the region. We believe in providing budget support into the government coffers directly. Uh, For the relation with the ASEAN Secretariat, we would wish for a little less formalism, a little more substance in our (laughs) exchanges and in dialogue at that level. Uh, We also need to bring the private sector because uh, the development gap between the countries will not be filled if the private sector is not moving in. And we look at uh, development cooperation as a way to make this environment for investment, for bringing the private sector a little more attractive, and everything we can do in this field, we will. Uh, we also, and I will stop here, uh, would like to uh, render more coherent the region-to-region region, um, uh, uh, relation and the bilateral relation that sustain it. They are not two different worlds. They're one and the same. And uh, maybe it is not happening always in a very smooth way on this account. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much uh, for uh, actually telling us very, very crucial points about the economic relationship, but also the development agenda and, of course, working together on global challenges now that we are actually uh, facing a U.S. that is perhaps in retreat from some of these multilateral frameworks. Uh, Delia, uh, when ASEAN was set up, when uh, Dr. Serene was talking about it, there was a great deal of uh, friendship and personal chemistry among the leaders, there was a feeling of working together for something fresh and new and exciting. Do you think ASEAN at 50 needs a little injection of more oomph, more excitement into, into its um, into structures? What would you like?
3: Uh, thank you, Jeda, for, for inviting me. This is the first time I, I come here. It's a pleasure. I've had lunch uh, delightful lunch a year ago when we established a relationship between the EU and the Asia Society. And in one of the roundtable discussions, I said, it's great to be here on the 50th anniversary of ASEAN, because years ago, we had difficulties trying to be attractive to the EU, and we used to complain that um, we were not getting the same attention we were giving them. But the king sat with us for two days, so I said, the king Your Majesty, of you made up for all those years. <laughs> okay. So that was a delightful uh, experience I had last year here. But let me start by confirming everything has been said, uh, especially uh, in so far as the. Uh, region-to-region relationship is concerned. We had rocky times, but I think this is a time for both uh, celebration for the success of this uh, relationship, but at the same time should lead us to confronting uh, the challenges that have uh, sort of evolved from those uh, years of uh, cooperation. Uh, Having been around when ASEAN was born, I joined the department in 67, and I sensed this cynicism in the region, uh, why we we should be uh, getting again, because two similar efforts had failed in the past. Uh, After independence and after challenges in, in the region, we decided to band together, but three at a time. We had the association of Southeast Asia with the Philippines, Thailand, and Malaysia to look at our boundary issues. I think we have to look at the past in order to to celebrate what we are today and, and, and the future as well. Because we were coming from a situation where there was also a certain amount of fear in the region that sort of pushed us that uh, it was necessary for us to get together. And then the second grouping, we had Mafilindo, the Malaysia, Philippines, Indonesia. We felt that Indonesia, being the largest country in the region, should be coming in. But I must say Thailand, uh, uh, I remember Tanat Koman, of course, was, uh, had a vision that uh, it should not be just the small groups that should get together, but widen the circle to the five nations. And I think, Serene, you have... Uh, Uh, described very well the whole atmosphere. Uh, I would like to think that the sense of that fear sort of drove us closer to each other. Mm. And perhaps if you look at the uh, current situation, you again have certain external threats that is trying to, uh, that is uh, perhaps pulling us together again to come out, and and this is to your question, how we would like to face the future in in, in a more uh, comprehensive way. Uh, I uh, look at the, I I was amazed uh, with a very interesting comment of uh, Foreign Minister Mogherini when she came to the uh, Shangri-La dialogue and she said that uh, ASEAN should not look at the EU as a trade-related partner. But more than that, we are also interested in what's going on in security in terms of uh, better relations on the political level. And I I think this uh, may spur, again, a a, a certain level of interest in the intensification of relations between uh, the EU and and ASEAN. Security issues. Security uh, as well as uh, higher political uh, debates. And if you look at the uh, uh, 50th anniversary uh, theme, which we chose as chairman this year, we talked about partnering for change and engaging the world, which means that we really are being inclusive, being open, and I think uh, we have gained a lot of confidence that uh, we can truly be more engaging with the world. And uh, just a few... Weeks ago, we had a 50th anniversary session and when we tried to encapsulate what what the achievements are of ASEAN in the past 50 years. And someone said, well, perhaps four Cs. Finally, we have a charter. We have institutionalized and gave ASEAN a legal personality. Second, we are serious about building our community uh, community, a political security community, economic community, and the socio economic community and thirdly, we are looking at greater connectivity, uh, which meant uh, a lot of uh, not just physical infrastructure but in terms of institutional infrastructure. but I think the challenge would be people more people uh, contact mm. and uh, the last but not the least, of course, is our centrality in terms of our relations with the world. Time is up. T- time's up, but I, I, will,
0: uh, I will let you go. But there are some questions at the last uh, ASEAN summit, for instance, didn't really make the kind of headway that one expected, right, on some crucial issues like migrant workers' rights, etc. And as far as centrality goes, I, f- I fear also, Delia, that you are caught in the Sino-American tension, if you like. So I think there will be questions from the floor on that, but I, I, I do want you to think a little bit about that and, and we'll come back to these issues. Um, Gunnar, um, you've just come back from Manila, in fact, um, so the EU is really reaching out to uh, ASEAN and Asian countries. Comment a little bit on what you've heard and how do you think this strategic... It's on, it's on uh, Do you think we will one day have a serious strategic partnership with ASEAN?
4: Yes, of course. Uh, We work on this from both sides. Sometimes things take a bit longer than people would have thought. I think this applies to European integration as much as it applies to ASEAN integration. You say life restarts at 50. Um, If that applies to ASEAN, uh, we can say 60 is the new 40 for the EU. But together we share already 40 years of a relationship which may have been more passionate at the beginning, but which reaches increasingly levels of maturity and of fulfillment. And um, we need to be careful, however, that the um, key um, challenges which are inside ASEAN, which are inside the European Union, and also those external forces which would not favor more cohesion and more deepening of integration, as Dr. Serin was referring to, are not impeding the deepening of relations between EU and ASEAN. Uh, I would like to take up two issues before uh, going more into the strategic partnership question, which Dr. Sourine raised when he had this historic backflash, and he said that um, there have been demonstrations uh, in um, ASEAN countries against G7 meetings. Well, nowadays we have demonstrations in industrialized countries in Europe against G20 meetings. Um, there are many uh, countries from Asia who have made the huge development leap forward over the last 20 years, which makes many citizens uncomfortable in our countries, in the United States. This is a new part of our uh, challenges for policymaking, that the successful development, the successful economic development, the prosperity sharing, the globalization is put into question by an important part of our population. And that's why free and fair trade and the emphasis on fair trade nowadays is becoming much bigger, uh, is important to pursue in a balanced way. That means that the um, fruits of liberalization are well, shared on both sides, and that also those who are not the immediate winners of liberalization are taken with us. So, the inclusive way. And you see how much of an influence this has had in the UK, at the referendum, in the United States, and also in many of the elections in, at home in uh, Europe. Um, the um, uh, fundamental difference to the years of the 60s, therefore is um, that the old ideological uh, um, competition uh, where ASEAN sought its way out of that dilemma is replaced by a different one between openness and closeness, between isolation and responsible liberalization. And uh, this is the new divide. And the new divide exists not so much between states, uh, between continents but between, inside of our societies. And this is a key challenge which we share in ASEAN and in the European Union. Um, Beyond this, I would like to um, take up also what what, uh, Mrs. Delia said uh, when she referred to the um, uh, centrality of ASEAN. this is, of course, one of the fundamental principles of ASEAN which we do uh, cherish and respect, but we have to be uh, open between us that, uh, that ASEAN centrality is under considerable strain, um, because it was a way of, uh, of um, avoiding that ideological uh, competition, but now you have very different competition between countries who wish to exercise influence through a great variety of means, including financial means, uh, at massive scale. And um, the um, economic and financial part goes together with geopolitical aspirations. Uh, And here, certainly, the U.S. positioning perhaps more security, probably less economic integration with the withdrawal from TPP, is uh, an important signal in this uh, challenge. And we certainly wish to stand by ASEAN, not to go into this uh, key question for every single member of ASEAN, am I more pro-Chinese or am I more pro-American? We have um, successfully avoided this, I think, for the European Union collectively, and uh, we are happy to share this, um, with um, ASEAN, because we both are, as you said in your introductory remarks, confronted with uh, the challenge of um, reaffirming first and foremost our own international role. Um, as Pierre Amilat rightly said, the economic relationship remains the bedrock of our relations, and it has seen a spectacular uh, growth uh, with, our, uh, with ASEAN being the Third trading partner of the EU, and the EU being the second trading partner of ASEAN, the EU being the first investor in the ASEAN region. And this is sometimes overlooked when think tanks only look at geostrategic considerations. Uh, Both the tourists, but also the business, uh, is the strongest bond beyond our uh, common history in many ways. And uh, we will build on this uh, with the very proactive uh, trade agenda of the many bilateral trade agreements um, with individual uh, countries, Uh, Vietnam, Singapore already there, Uh, Thailand, Philippines, Malaysia are underway in one way or another. And the scoping is is, uh, being done for the the, um, region-to-region FTA Uh, In addition to this, the Comprehensive Air Transport Agreement, which will open up many new opportunities. Let me finish by referring to the security and uh, political strengthening strengthening which um, uh, the um, uh, former Secretary, uh, Ms. Delia, referred to. This is an important additional um, and still underdeveloped uh, dimension. It is clearly expressed as an ambition by the European Union in the Foreign Affairs Council conclusions of uh, 2015. Um, We are uh, doing much more in this field with ASEAN, and I could see this uh, by attending the senior official meeting of the ASEAN Regional Forum last week in Manila. Uh, We will, for example, now co-chair for the next three years uh, with uh, Vietnam and Australia the intersessional uh, dialogue on on maritime security. We have many forms of concrete cooperation, maritime security. We work on cyber, on counterterrorism, on migration issues, on civil protection. These are many of the non-traditional security threats. Uh, There are exercises which are being done. We recently had a big workshop with um, ASEAN here on uh, prevention of radicalization. And violent extremism. Uh, And this is, I think, key to recognize that Europe can do more in Asia with ASEAN partners in countering security threats. Because Europe has developed a lot in this field over the last 15 years. And this may have been not fully recognized in ASEAN, that in the field of home and justice, but also in the field increasingly of security and defense. European Union is developing. It's not just a trade bloc. It's not just a provider of development assistance. And we believe this has to become part and parcel of our relationship. And that would also justify that we fully go then into a so-called strategic partnership. And with this, I hope I have answered your question. Um,
0: Yes, sort of. But you know me. I'll have several follow-ups. But that's also up to you guys to uh, intervene and and question our panelists a bit more. But Pavero, you know, I want to come in exactly where Gunnar left off, the EU as a security player in the region. And uh, is, it, is it the case that uh, ASEAN has, to, has only a binary choice uh, ahead of us, that it has to be either working with the Americans on certain issues or with the Chinese? Aren't you independent enough? And uh, the centrality that ASEAN has, doesn't it give you the force and the comfort um, to be independent and work on your own?
5: Thank you, Shara. Well, before I answer your questions, let me say that at 50, a person has probably reached the level of maturity. But for regional organizations, it seems to me that it is in need of more years to get mature. Uh, Now, to answer to your questions... Let's look at the world, first of all. There is the transatlantic frame, so to say. There is the transpacific frame also. But the trans-Asian Europe is, well, if you use ASM as the measurement, it's only a meeting, mm. not a summit, not the cooperation like APEC, you know. And so I think what I feel at this point in time is that we don't need to choose. We need all because we want to be constructive that the whole world is having good understanding. But let's, let's talk about ASEAN or Southeast Asia. Dr. Surin says that in the 60s, Southeast Asia was in poverty, in trouble. It was the Balkans of Southeast Asia. But we managed to get up, and after 50 years, Southeast Asia is part of East Asia, the center of gravity. Now, is it the only thing that we are the center of gravity, part of the center of gravity? Yes. It is, you know, having 55% of the GDP of the world, 40% of the shipping of the world, 40% of foreign direct investment, and so on. But it is also the center of struggle. Because there we have two rela- one relationship that can shake the world. That's the sino U.S. relations. This is an important challenge for the whole you world. you hold
0: the microphone closer?
5: Yeah. For the whole world, not only for us, you see. So I think we must be focusing on this danger. Are we up to it? This is the question. And in my view, the situation now is that ASEAN is speaking with, not with one unison, not in unison, but in some voices, some are leaning or tilting towards one side, and some others are tilting to the other side. Indonesia's position usually is that we, don't, we want to be independent, but also active, because the solution of this issue depends not only on the, two, the big powers, the two giants, who have the responsibility to manage their relationship in a constructive way. But we, the ASEAN countries, must also be working together towards that end. And at this point, we have mainland ASEAN countries, we have maritime ASEAN countries, and they are taking different positions. So to answer to your question whether we have to make a choice, Indonesia thinks that we must not make a choice. We must be making the choice for peace. You see, we still need to develop further economically. And to do so, we need two things. One is internal stability. The other is external security. Internal stability basically is our own responsibility. But external security needs cooperation. And right now, the necessities for cooperation is somewhat difficult because... We have a rising power and we have an established power. And we need to 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 prevent the drifting towards confrontation because confrontation would be very bad for the not only for Southeast Asia but for the whole world. So this is I think the challenge that we need to strengthen the Trans Asia Europe segment of the three trans you know. The the Trans-Pacific is also in trouble now because of the behavior of one member, the most powerful. And
0: the the
5: Trans-Pacific also is uh, uh, in, in difficulty. And the Chinese are having the one belt, one road ID, which is, I think, very, 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 very relevant. So that is, I think, my answer to your question. Thank you.
0: Just a v- very quick follow-up to you, Pavir. You talked about Indonesia, and Indonesia, we all know, has been seen as the driver of ASEAN integration. Um, some of us have a feeling that that sort of drive for further ASEAN integration on the part of the d- President Jokowi is perhaps less there as it was with President SBY. Does Indonesia still have that kind of central uh, driver role, do you think?
5: Well, my president is a man who comes from, not from the elites. His home was uh, removed by the government because it was on a riverbank illegally occupied. You see. So his mind is always with the little people. So his foreign policy now is basically to do foreign policy for the sake of domestic purposes. So his instruction to his ambassadors is, one, access to technology, access to investment, access to market, access to anything that will help Indonesia get up. You know. So he is concentrating on strengthening the asset, not about how, what to do abroad because the, the, the situation is so complex anyway and no country is really doing it. We are all inter- interconnected, but nobody is in charge. You see. So that is, I think, what I'm, I can explain. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for your openness as well. I'd like to open the, the floor now to questions and comments from yourselves. If I could see a show of hands of people who would like to intervene at this point. So you're also mesmerized by what's been said, that you have no curiosity at the moment. So, unless I'm missing someone. Not yet. Okay. So, Dr. Serene, do I see a hand? Not yet. Dr. Serene, oh, I do. Okay, brilliant. So, Professor, please. Um, Raphael, do
6: you take the. And Dr. Uh, Dr. Gerhard Stahl, Peking University College of Europe. My question concerns both parts the Asian part and the European part. Uh, and this is linked uh, to the invitation of China with the One Road, One Belt uh, initiative uh, to build up this close cooperation with partners. There have been just some days ago uh, this big uh, summit in Beijing where there have been all the heads of states or at least 30 heads of states to somehow confirm an ambition to go forward with this uh, invitation for closer uh, cooperation. And there have been also some discussions concerning the final uh, statement of the summit. My question, therefore, is a bit to both sides – how do you judge this Belt and Road initiatives and the modality? To what extent would you have some comments or some demands to the Chinese and those who want to engage in this initiative uh, about the modalities? Hmm. And this is a question to the European demands because they are addressed as partners and also to the Asian partners.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Professor. Very pertinent question. Do I have any other questions coming at this point? Okay, so uh, Dr. Serene, I wanted to come back. Uh, of course, we will answer your question as well, but I also wanted to come back to the point that Pa Viruyunov made about uh, the choices, the tensions, the, and, you know, we talk about the South China Sea, but there's also North Korea, and that's very, very high on people's minds in the region, but also in Europe. So may I ask you to respond to what the professor has asked about the Belt and Road, but also to take up the question of security in the region?
1: Yes. <clears throat> Let me first take the issue that Babur Yono brought up. Uh, I think the main challenges in our part of the world now is certainly the governance of the South China Sea, how to make sure that it will remain peaceful, accessible, and free, because all of us are dependent on uh, that freedom of navigation there, including China, uh, very much dependent on the uh, peace and security of that region. The other one is certainly the Korean Peninsula. Uh, The tension there, the proliferation, and the possibility of going out of control or miscalculation is there. And uh, these two issues are very much subsumed under the U.S.-China relation. Um, In spite of the rhetoric about America first, America first, America first, we can see that the approach is to bring allies, or to develop alliance, or new alliance. The phone calls to Thailand, to the Philippines, and to Singapore, to me, inviting the leaders to the White House is a clear indication that there is an attempt to recreate an alliance in order to contain China. So, We have to be very, very careful, you know, not to be able, not to be forced to choose, but at the same time how to balance ourselves so that we maintain that freedom of no choice, of of not choosing, not no choice, of of not choosing. Uh, I think uh, the the only way forward for ASEAN is to be more integrated and more solid and uh, more Unified, uh, you know, speaking in unison. But the problem is this. problem is ASEAN has reached this point of 50 years with tremendous records of growth in everything, 200 billion US do- uh, euros uh, trade, and then being one of the tops. Um, Sometimes ASEAN, ASEAN investment is, you know, somehow overshadow European investment in ASEAN. But you are at the top. Uh, all these indicators, the uh, standard of living, uh, rising middle class, purchasing, all these things I think uh, we have achieved and uh, we have been able to maintain uh, on ourselves, by ourselves, with the leadership that were not quite democratic, Shada. <laughs> The leadership that has brought us here was the like of Suharto, like of Li Kuan Yew, like of Mahathir, like of Prim in Thailand, or for his part, like of Ramos, Makos, sorry, not Ramos, Marcos. in his part. So the landscape still has to somehow learn to manage these waves of demand for participation, for ownership, for accessibility to power. That's, I think, what we, we need to develop on the landscape. Now, on the issue of um, how to go forward in the future, I think, I think the European insistence on norms and values are important, Mr. Mr. Weglin. Uh, I've seen other powers are saying that interests, profit, jobs, bring it back, trade balance, these are the things that we will focus on uh, you know, dropping norms and values. I, I, I think pressure is good. I think um, uh, example is good. I think your achievement has been an inspiration and maintain that. Um, on the issue of World Belt One Road... Um,
0: uh, Dr. Thirin, can I just ask you one thing? You say European uh, norms and values are important. Did you say that when you were ASEAN Secretary General as well?
1: Definitely. <laughs> okay. Definitely. Uh, I, I, I tried thought there was to, a lot
0: of feeling that you shouldn't be... No, I tried
1: to, to open it. up the space for the civil society, but I was told that Surin, um, Mr. Secretary-General, civil society, yes, but they have to be our civil society. <laughs> I made an effort. I tried to open up the space, and we couldn't call them civil society. We have to call them stakeholders. Um, dialogue uh, between the secretariat with the civil society working on human rights, all these things. I have established those things, strengthening the process, strengthening the landscape, adopting the values, uh, inspiration. But um, as I said, going forward uh, with this difficulty in our economic um, arena and then... You know, one major power is saying, you know, no more interest in the norms, in the values. That certainly has taken away uh, some of the parameter that we will have to consider in the conduct of our interstate and regional right. operation and regional relations. On the One Belt One Road, Professor, I, I think we have to look at it as not a charity. It's a strategic approach, it's a strategic vision, and it is um, it, 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 it's the superpower and trying to extend its resources and its, you, you can call it uh, its magnanimity, but I think striking at an opening that is extremely uh, necessary and attractive. Everybody wants fun. Everybody wants uh, resources for infrastructure, for connectivity, for trade. Uh, When the world is not at its optimum in mobilizing all these resources to go into those uh, projects and those um, uh, programs, definitely a country that is rising with tremendous resources would want to fill that gap. And Somehow it's appealing, but I think we have to be also very conscious of the fact that there is a strategic dimension of it, there is a political dimension of it, and there is a security dimension of it. All of us will have to be... uh, on guard and trying to interact with this new opportunity okay. with th- tremendous care. Some are more comfortable than others. Some are read, more ready than others in jumping on to the, to the platform. Um, but I think it would be good for all of us right. to be more, uh, more reflective and more deliberative in, in moving forward right. under any particular one project, one strategic uh, vision.
0: Right. Thank you, Dr. Sri. I'm going to go to all of you uh, uh, with, with the same questions and also North Korea, but I just want to take a couple of more questions and then get the conversation going. So I have a Jean-Pierre Lehmann here who would like to ask a question. Could, uh, bring... But all of you will be asked to respond.
7: Thank you very much, uh, Jean-Pierre Lehmann. I am the Switzerland Obviously, the U.S.-China relationship is the relationship of the 21st century. And very much is going to depend not just on how these actors play, but how other actors play. And I'm not sure, but I think the idea of having the U.S. building up alliances in Asia to contain China is a very, very dangerous path. Uh, I think one has to, to try to engage China. China has not been an imperialist power. Uh, to see whether what can be done to have its peaceful rights succeed, and to that effect, I think, depending on the United States, particularly with leadership now, although I wasn't a great fan of either Obama or Bush's policies towards Asia, and the pivot to Asia was a mistake, et the best would be for the U.S. to withdraw gradually and for Asian countries to develop their own security apparatus with help from outside, including Europe, but without interference from outside.
0: Mm. Uh, we'll get comments uh, from, uh, from the panel on that. Any, any other questions coming in? Because we still haven't answered on North Korea either. Anyone else want to come in at this point? Okay, so let's, uh, let's start with Pierre uh, t- to the comments you've heard and uh, other points you may want to make.
2: Yes, thank you, uh, <clears throat> Shada. I think um, I'd like to say a few words about the question you, you asked about inequalities and, and, and development gaps. Um, uh, to echo as well what uh, Gunnar was saying. I think uh, we have to be very, very careful, not only in, in Europe, where this has hit us already, uh, but also um, uh, everywhere else, of the political impact of these inequalities. Globalization uh, will remain a uh, way to organize the world uh, economic relation as long as the fruits of globalization are shared in an equal manner. This is why um, uh, there are winners and losers, but uh, we should not just look at countries. We should look at uh, uh, another level of uh, granularity, and that is within countries, how tax systems are working, how uh, the government revenues are mobilized, how... Uh, All sections of populations are getting access to these fruits. Um, Otherwise, uh, what we feel in Europe will be uh, soon also something that uh, uh, countries in ASEAN uh, could feel. As far as the gap between countries, there's a huge one. I think it's 1 to 26. Uh, In Europe today, it's 1 to 4 between the richer and the uh, poorer. And um, uh, we have some, you know, experience with um, trying to uh, share uh, uh, wealth by uh, using development funds. I think that this is an experience worth uh, studying, uh, working on together. Uh, I'm always a little bit um, uh, intrigued by the fact that, for instance, officially, uh, the poorest countries uh, of asean pay the same amount of money into the organization as the richest this is uh, of
0: course discussion. we know
2: we <laughs> know reality is a bit different but uh, it is uh, it is quite uh, quite striking for for uh, for us in the sense that if we want to catch up quickly and uh, be more attractive by the way as a an investment destination <laughs> as a as an internal market, uh, um, these efforts uh, require asymmetric relations between the members, uh, and this needs to be, uh, mm-hmm. to be properly organized. Just one word about One Belt, One Road. Um, I was uh, in Yokohama with Stefano Manzavisi at the, uh, with, uh, at the uh, uh, annual meeting of the Asian Development Bank. Everybody talked about the forum in Beijing. Uh, frankly, we asked everybody. Nobody knew exactly what was going on, but everybody wanted to go. <laughs> uh, modalities was the question that was asked. And, of course, it's the key question for uh, for all, and including, of course, for Europeans. Uh, it is a great enterprise because, as far as Europeans are concerned, we are on the other side of that road. And so it is, uh, it is meaningful. But uh, what is needed... And it is a first try for the Chinese to do their strategic investment in an open or sufficiently open multilateral way. But we will uh, be, and we have called, actually, uh, uh, the German representative there and uh, and others, and our uh, vice president, who was also present, Mm -hmm. uh, called for these modalities to be open, to be transparent, uh, the, um, the procurement, uh, the um, award of markets and so on be up to international standards. And honestly, it's going to be quite a challenge to uh, to manage this. The last point that I would make is that these one belt, one road corridor is crossing a lot of very poor countries. Mm-hmm. And what we hope and uh, is that these countries will benefit from it. They can certainly benefit from it in terms of work and infrastructure, of course, but they should also benefit from it by equipping themselves, for instance, with service industry. And uh, this is something that is the soft part with a little infrastructure that is uh, mm. also very, very important for this country. Thank you.
0: Very, very important point. In fact, uh, we will be having our Europe-China forum at the end of June, and the Belt and Road Initiative is very high on our agenda. So. People who are interested in that, please do come and listen to the Chinese perspective and the European perspective on the BRI uh, on the 27th uh, of June uh, this year. So, uh, Delia, some very important points have been made. Um, I would like you to comment on them, talk about the issues that have been raised, about centrality, peace, uh,
3: choices, um, and the future, perhaps. Let me just mention something very local, because... Of course, certainly the South China Sea puts the Philippines in a very sensitive, crucial, uh, well, has a crucial play, a role to play. Mm-hmm. If, if one looks at the South China Sea map, and, and this is how I always start, look at the map, look at where we are. And then you look at our history and you look at our relations with the world. Uh, those of you recall that the Philippines was the only American colony in the area, at least the first American colony and the one they had there. And this very, very strong relationship went for many, many years. And uh, we always felt comfortable that in terms of, say, the balance of power in the region, they were present in, in the South China Sea And that was this sense of reliance that they were there to be with us in times of crisis has changed. And although we feel, and we have been told that, okay, we're with you all the way, we felt that perhaps talking about rule of law, our responsibility towards the region, not just for ourselves— But for Northeast Asia, for all of Southeast Asia, to keep this Southeast Asia, South Pacific route as open as possible. And this is the main reason we took the case to court. I have to say that not everyone was happy that we did take the case to court. But perhaps it's part of our American legacy as well, to be legalistic. And we felt that perhaps this is one way we could ease the tension. Perhaps we overestimated the support that we would get. We uh, continue to look at uh, countries that would really be gung-ho with us in making sure that these lanes are kept open. And I have to perhaps publicly acknowledge the role of uh, Indonesia in easing that tension when there were differences of opinion in terms of approaching uh, our court in the, our, our uh, legal um, case that we brought to the arbitration court. But people have to remember that the court did not decide on sovereignty. This is a very important mm-hmm. thing to remember. The court decided that it was not right for China to build on those rocks, I, you have to go into the intricacies of the decision to to uh, try to explain why all these uh, endless debates on, on on positions on the mm-hmm. South China Sea. But it was made clear that uh, we had to respect the provisions of the United Nations uh, of the UN clause uh, Convention on the Law of the Sea by the way, which also Indonesia was very, very helpful in crafting the, the uh, archipelago uh, doctrine in the uh, UNCLOS. So we feel that uh, perhaps uh, we were not able to convince everybody mm-hmm. uh, that uh, to come along with us. There were various interests uh, that were uh, visible and real, and we, we respect that. But our point was to make clear to the world that there is a rule of law, there is the United Nations to which both China and the Philippines have uh, acceded to and ratified and therefore is a very important uh, governing structure to which we should be able to submit and respect uh, decisions. Uh, Insofar as uh, U.S.-China... Uh, relations in the area, uh, you will see a lot of major statements from the Philippines. And perhaps at this point in our relationship with the United States, suddenly geography becomes an immutable uh, aspect of our foreign policy. And therefore, there is this uh, looking into, well, if it's so-called America first, then we have the region to, 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 to be with us. However, we see that there has not really been a declaration or an open statement of Asia policy mm. in the current administration. And uh, referring to Serene's uh, statement that uh, these phone calls to the three leaders of ASEAN to be invited to the White House is an important indication of reaching out. And I just learned that... Uh, President Trump is coming to the meeting of the summit in Manila in November. And perhaps this is the way forward to, to, to ease the tension that has been right. brewing there. And, and if you want, has to refer to Tillerson's statements, to McMaster's statements. It's uh, uh, not as rigid as what we thought them to be. And, right. and this is the role also of the EU to, to come into the picture and, and say what, what do you really want to do there in terms of the new administration? Right,
0: Delia, but the EU is not part
3: of the East Asia Summit. Uh, well, as, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, there is a uh, uh, certainly have made the request and uh, certainly the chair has a lot to do with it. Uh, if you ask me, but I'm no longer a foreign minister, I would do so, but uh, there are other players. And I think in time there may be some, uh, a good look, and perhaps uh, the uh, good old times of ASEAN EU will come back into the forefront and and recognize the the role, the important role that uh, the EU has in terms of participation in the East Asia Summit. Uh, we are also looking at Canada as a, uh, another guest uh, uh, of the chair, which again goes into the ASEAN way of engaging the world, so which is our theme, by the way, for the 50th anniversary of ASEAN. So okay. perhaps engaging the world is a very good uh, way to approach the, the uh, participation into the East ASEAN uh, summit. Perhaps just one word... Uh, Uh, engagement, uh, diversity, inclusiveness. I'm I'm, I'm delighted to see women in the group because I too am a champion for women engagement. And uh, part of also our theme is not just engaging the world but engaging everyone in society. And uh, we look forward to more uh, interactions on the EU side with uh, the, the, what we, in, we are initiating in, in ASEAN in bringing in. I just came back from a meeting with uh, Prime Minister Abe of Japan, spent a whole afternoon with 1,600 women and showed the importance of women, women in the economy and uh, especially for an aging uh, society like Japan. So I thought I'd just inject that a little bit. Thank
0: you bit. for doing that, actually. Thank you very much. In fact, our second session is about uh, globalization, and we have three very, very uh, intelligent and feisty women on, uh, on civil society representatives on our panel. Uh, Gunnar, you could be the guest at the East Asia Summit. Wouldn't that be a good first step forward in this long process that we've been engaged in? And other comments too, please, Gunnar.
4: Of course, the issue was discussed um, in the margins of the ASEAN Regional Forum, and um, it's not me who would be the guest, it would be the President of the European Council, um, and uh, and only him uh, for the (laughs) EU. uh, And that would be uh, very good to be there together with the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, and um, it would not be a good sign if there would be only one invited and not two. But uh, I will not um, pre, um, uh, prejudge the decision which the host has to be made, and the host is President Duterte of the Philippines. So we, uh, we wait, um, and uh, we will see.
0: And he was uh, a little nasty, to, not to you personally, but he said, the EU, we don't need your aid. I mean, this was a, you were in the press saying, we're there,
4: well, that's a wholly different subject.
0: <laughs> no, I know, I which know, I know. It does
4: have nothing, nothing to do uh, with ASEAN as such. It has something to do with our bilateral relations with the Philippines. And uh, it is not always appreciated when we uh, uphold uh, norms and values, as uh, Dr. Srin was saying. (laughs) Uh, We do this whether it comes to the uh, Rohingya minority in Myanmar. We do this when it comes uh, to uh, certain issues linked to uh, military um, um, involvement in Thailand. Uh, We are doing this when it comes to the uh, fight against drugs in the Philippines. And this is not the fight as such. It is the means which are being employed and whether there is due process and um, whether the uh, rights of um, people in such process are properly preserved. Um, This is what Europe stands for. I know it's not popular uh, for many, uh, but it is part of the DNA why why Europeans have come together, whether they have come out of the ashes of the Second World War, whether they were fascist or communist dictatorships. It is the deep belief in democracy, checks and balances, rule of law, the guarantee of human rights. And this everybody has to reckon with that the European Union in its international Um, positioning, and this was also clearly expressed in the recent global strategy of the EU, will always be uh, norms-based and value-based, even though we are going as far as talking about principled pragmatism in the way we are doing this. So we are not uh, theologists, but uh, we have principles, and uh, they will be reflected, whether this is in the context of trade policy or, or financial assistance and um, this uh, will therefore always be a subject with uh, partners. Having said this, and this should be no surprise because it has been a permanent feature of EU uh, foreign policy, Um, having said this, I do believe that in the case of the Philippines we are on the the way towards a proper clarification by the government what actually was meant. I would like to comment, uh, however, on the ASEAN-related questions which were uh, brought up. Um, uh, beyond um, this point um, the um, uh, issue which uh, uh, was brought up in the context of ASEAN is the the issue of OBOR and uh, uh, Pierre Amilat already has made a couple of comments I would just like to say what is important in all of this is that each one of us has their own idea of what connectivity means for them It cannot be that we all are convoked to Beijing and then to receive our guidance on what we should do with Chinese potential investors. We work very well with China on connectivity, and the EU-China Summit, which takes place in two days here in Brussels, will very much bear witness of this. We do have a connectivity platform with China. There are concrete projects also which are being approved, um, which takes place right now as we speak. Uh, But what is important is that there is also uh, a Japanese and an Indonesian and uh, ASEAN and uh, uh, Indian and uh, Pakistani connectivity policy. Uh, Certainly in Europe we have one, which are trans-European networks, whether this is in uh, transport or in in energy. We have a clear uh, policy on the air transport also. But we need to develop further in more detail uh, on, based on the principles which uh, pierre Milat evoked and certainly the principle of transparency and of norms-based are very key here. Uh, we need to develop also our wider policy towards the connections with Asian partners. But Asian partners means not only China, means Asian partners. Uh, We will uh, do this in particular in the context of the Asia-Europe meeting. There is also a practical value to ASEM because ASEM combines 53 countries currently. We have a senior official meeting in two weeks here. We prepare for the foreign ministerial in Myanmar uh, in November and then the summit which will take place in, uh, in, in the second half of next year. And we believe that this is a key subject for ASEM uh, and b- why because it includes uh, so many of our asian partners it okay. goes well beyond china and by the way china shares that um, that conviction um, finally um, i would like to uh, finish on excuse me on altogether one key element of course there are many think tanks there are many people who draw up maps and there are many geostrategic considerations mm-hmm. Uh, the most important thing is that this is also economically feasible, financially viable. Uh, this needs to be said occasionally because the business case for many of the projected connections remains to be made. And um, it is, you can have the best infrastructure, but if uh, the procedures don't allow to get things fast through, if the uh, return on investment is not there, it will remain uh, an empty uh, project. Um, finally, on the um, question of uh, security, I would like to emphasise that uh, very often ASEAN asks what can Europe do more for us? I have to say Europe also asks increasingly its Asian partners what more can Asian partners do for Europe? The security challenges are massive, which we have in our neighborhood, whether it's in the Middle East, in Eastern Europe, or in Northern Africa. uh, We have um, the uh, terrorist-related challenges, the radicalization challenges, uh, the massive migration flows, including from Asian countries. And uh, we need to work with Asian partners in stemming these security uh, challenges. And this is something which is also in the interest of Asian partners because of our economic interdependence. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Um, Pa Viriono, please. And then, uh, Dr. Serena, I'll give you the last word. Please, Pa. Especially this bit uh, that Gunnar has said about what can Asia do for us on security issues. I think that's a very valid point to follow up on.
5: What can ASEAN do for, for security? Well, the world is in a very complicated situation. And there are all kinds of security threats. Uh, for example, one that is common is the Islamic radicals. We are concerned and worried about it because in Indonesia, they are challenging the government. They are trying to, they are trying to, to make a khilafah, you know, to revive the khilafa. So it is against our constitution. But now we have to work as a democracy and respect the rule of law. The government cannot simply disband them. We need to go through the uh, legal proceedings. In this kind of situation, I think Europe and ASEAN, with the same problem, could work together in support of each other, you see. But the more dangerous situation is, in Europe, I think you have influx of immigrants. And there is a kind of anti-immigrants movement here. It's not a majority, but it's not weak. So this is having a reaction in countries like Indonesia, generated by different motivations like feeling of, of, of solidarity with the Muslims, you know. like uh, uh, when, for example, there is a banning on the Burkini. There is a sense of uh, reaction there in, in, in countries with Muslim populations.
0: So feeding off each other in a sense.
5: Exactly. So the, the nature of this, this threat is, is different. It's not someone attacking you directly, but uh, in terms of dangers. You see. So this is a very compli- complicated problems, and it's not easy to react together in the same way because we think differently, and we have different perspectives and so on. You see. So, but in this case, I think the two sides need to talk to each other more to have a, a kind of efforts to make our perception more or less in line, not to agree completely because it is impossible. So it's very, very complicated, and even if we can discuss it, we may not be able to Mm -hmm. come to some agreement. Mm -hmm. So this is the issue. Can I talk about the One Belt?
0: Very quickly, sir, please go ahead, Pa.
5: Well, the One Belt, One Road initiative is coming at the time when the United States abandoned the TPP. So from the Chinese point of view, it is a very timely and strategic move. And I think the the, the idea itself is attractive because who doesn't want connectivity, infrastructure, credit, and all that, you see? So it is attractive. But we know also that, uh, well, if we remember well, Napoleon once said that China is a sleeping dragon, and when she wakes up, the whole world will tremble. But I don't think we like to tremble. However, so the Chinese, what the Chinese are saying that PRC is not only People's Republic of China, but it's please remain calm. But how do we remain calm in the light of our experience in the past? So this is also a very complex problem. But for the time being, our common interest with the Chinese is simply economic. Because economic development must continue. China may be a superpower, but it still has a lot of people under the poverty line. So does Indonesia. So we need internal stability, as I said before, and external security. I think it was Teng Xiaoping who says, if you want development, don't make war. So I think this is a good situation for us to yeah. be cooperating with them, but also with some kind of reservation because of our fear uh, of our experience in the past. As I was explaining last night, you know, when Indonesians speak about, wants to speak and to say something, we use the word Utara. Utara is north. We don't worry about the south because there are only penguins and the Australians. So I think this is a complex problem, and our reaction is I think domestically it is dividing Indonesia. Right. And it's becoming a problem also. But the president is looking only at the opportunities and the, 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 the possibility of getting assistance also for our On your
0: south. own connectivity master plan and all the different yes, visions. Thank you. And, uh, projects that there are there. Thank you very much, Pa. Dr. Serene, many things to comment on. Thank you. Thank uh, you very much.
1: Let me just pick on two issues. Um, On the European engagement on strategic, political, and security issues with the East, Uh, if it were up to me, I would agree with uh, Secretary Delia that I would welcome uh, the EU to the table, the head table. But I want to see these two I want to see closer and more enhanced uh, interaction between the EU and the countries of East Asia and ASEAN on, on major issues of the world, um, political issues at the uh, global platform like the UN – Uh, I have tried to uh, suggest that um, some of the issues of concern to East Asia, even candidacies of East Asia, when we ask the EU, can you come up with a common position on our interests, major interests in some of the the positions in the EU, Uh, the EU would always say that's uh, member states' kind of uh, issues. But I think if there is an effort to show that uh, issues of importance to East Asia, to the ASEAN countries in the areas of security, political, and strategic uh, consideration, the EU has some position, common position for us, on us would be helpful. I think, uh, I think you touch upon it, uh, Mr. Weglin, uh, on the issues of non traditional threats. I think the way in which we have been working together, we, we, we need to somehow expand and enhance money laundering, drugs. The fact that we could stem those things in Southeast Asia certainly helped the global community. Do more of that, of the non-traditional areas uh, of, um, of uh, cooperation, of, of security and of uh, um, political and strategic issues. And there are other issues certainly human trafficking, certainly uh, environment. These are the issues that I think we can enhance and prove it to East Asia that Europe has now uh, committed and would like to enhance upon the relationship between us. So welcome, but with those caveats that there would be more demonstrated commitments from the European side on issues of importance to us in the East. Uh, on the issue of uh, phone calls to the three countries in Southeast Asia, um, I'm afraid that it's going to be a replay of the Cold War. It's a containment. I agree with, with you absolutely uh, that we have gone beyond that. Uh, I think one of the fundamental principles of ASEAN, and it is in, not in the Charter, in the declaration on the 8th of August 1967, the founding uh, print, uh, a, a document was to, had to do with the foreign bases in Southeast Asia, in the member countries of Southeast Asia. Meaning, uh, alliance will be played down. Meaning that a couple of years after the establishment, we established something called the Zone of Peace, Freedom, and Neutrality. Meaning, aspiration of the region is to be neutral, to be free from having to choose, but I think the way in which it is being played out now, we are going back to pre-ASEAN mode, and that is selecting some. Well, I mean, Thailand and the Philippines are uh, treaty partners to treaty um, partners to the U.S. Singapore is not, but Singapore is certainly counted. I think. Um, Ambassador Kang Yong can correct me, as part of that new alliance that Mr. Trump would like to to build. And so I'm afraid that we are being taken back to the past, where we have gone beyond. Mm. That is, we were free, we were open, we were not being forced to choose, treaty alliances are being played down. I'm afraid we are going to have that replay, Mm. and I don't think it serves the region. Mm. Thank you.
0: Uh, Dr. Srin, final word on North Korea, because you've, uh, you've actually written something saying that ASEAN should also put that, that issue, explosive issue, if I may say so, uh, on the agenda. ASEAN hasn't done so, or, no, or has my, it?
1: My assumptions are these, that all six members of the six-party talks are members of ARF. North Korea came into ARF yeah. in the year 2000 when Thailand was the chair. Yeah. Uh, so th- for the first time, uh, North Korea came into the camp. And I think Indonesia did a splendid job when you were the chair in 2011. Uh, you were able to bring both foreign ministers of the two countries and chief negotiators of the two countries onto the island of Bali. Never happened before. Now, I think if, if ASEAN or if the regional forum would come to the to the point of recognition that the six-party talks are stalling and will be stalling and uh, not getting anywhere. Let's try something new. And I thought a special envoy from ARF, maybe Indonesia, would certainly be an instrument that kick-start mm. some of these, open up some of these venues. My, my hope is this, that there would be that envoy going around the six capitals, maybe including Brussels, being the EU, being capital of EU, listening and hearing and try to understand the concerns and the hopes and the fears and bring those messages around. My assumption is that if there is anyone going to, going to concede to anybody else, it won't be to the immediate uh, opponent. It might be to some instrument or some personalities or an envoy that is more neutral, that is more Uh, less distant from the tension and confrontation now. I have made this public. I think uh, I was told that it's being looked into in Manila, and uh, I've said this too in Kuala Lumpur. um, And I hope that, you know, ASEAN Regional Forum uh, since 1994 cannot remain a baby. If it is going to be taken seriously, it has Mm -hmm. to have a chance of maturing up. And maturing up means facing Mm -hmm. bigger issues, rising to the challenges. And I think the Korean Peninsula, precisely because the six members of the six party talks are all members of ASEAN Regional Forum. We talk about it every year, but there is no credit to ARF. There is no mentioning of ARF. I think it's about time. Treat ARF as a growing adult rather than a baby. It will be a baby forever.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Dr. Serene. Uh, and uh, the EU is a member of the ARF, so there, we do have a voice and a say in what happens. So good luck to that idea. In fact, I think it's uh, badly needed. Thank you very much indeed uh, to all panelists. I've been following... EU-ASEAN relations for several decades now, and I have to say, rarely have I come across such an open and frank discussion. We haven't solved the problems. I don't think we can, but I've never actually heard the problems uh, identified and so clearly articulated both by the Europeans and by the ASEAN it's been very very interesting for me and i think for everyone else here as well we've really dealt with some of the complexities of this rapidly changing rapidly transforming and volatile world so please join me in thanking these panelists